You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're kicking off a new series called Cliché, and the immediate objective is to make sure we're not trivializing any scriptures. We're going to do a few of them here. We're going to kick it off this morning with Philippians 4.13. We'll get there in a moment. But we want to make sure that when we approach God's Word, we're approaching it in all the fullness that we can so that it becomes a part of who we are and it's not something detached or over here. Several years ago when I was at Bible college, my wife and I were living on campus as freshmen. And she comes home from a commitment that she had she walks in and I can immediately tell something's wrong with her just the facial expression I know something's wrong you know you live with someone you get a good feel for their vibes their movements and I know something's going on I pressure a little bit she keeps telling me everything's fine no problem then a few hours later I get below the surface a little bit and she's like well I just had an encounter today and I don't know it's just put me in kind of a acquisitive um, mood and I'm like okay well, well tell me about it a few hours later she reveals to me that as she was walking out of one of the buildings on campus she overheard my favorite professor speaking with another student and saying yeah I just don't know what we're going to do with David Green she said I don't know what to do The Bible tells me that if I've got a problem with someone, I need to go to him. But he's your professor. He's your favorite professor. So for the next couple of days, she wrestles with exactly what to do. And then she decides, you know what? I'm going to send him an email. So she crafts this email talking about how I'm a very respectable person. She's lived with me for several years. She knows me. She knows my heart. She's just pleading my case in this email. And she sends it to my professor. And the next day we hear back from him. And apparently, David Green was the college football player, the quarterback for the University of Georgia, his favorite team. Yeah. So that's what happens. It was a little awkward in class after that. But that's what happens when you hear information that's isolated from a bigger idea. Or you get a little bit of communication that's detached from the context of what we're talking about. And that's what a cliche is. We hear these cliches, we use them, we hear them, but we've kind of memorized them or we've learned them in isolation. So we use them, we hear them, but how they play out in life may not make sense. And if you're not up to the cliche game, let's try it right now. I'll start saying a sentence and as soon as you recognize it, just jump in. If the shoe... Yeah, the grass is always, absence makes the heart, one of my favorites, save the drama for your mama. Yeah, you know that one? Yeah. And then one of the others, I want to tell you more about this series, but if I tell you, then I'm going to have to kill you. You got it. But apparently the top movie cliche, the top one is we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And I bet if the Apostle Paul was using cliches, that would be the one he tapped into. And I bet he would tell readers, you know what, this Christian life, this Christian journey, this is something you can do. And you can do it the easy way or 
you can also do it the hard way. So when you come to Philippians 4.13, we read the statement, hey, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. But that's isolated. That's what we hear. And you can see it on t-shirts, keychains, coffee mugs. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And maybe some of us have memorized that text. And we don't even know where it's located in the Bible, but we can recite it verbatim because we've memorized it. And studies show that when you just merely memorize something, then you learn it in isolation. And even though you know it and you can recite it, seeing how or explaining to someone else how it actually plays out in life can be very difficult. For example, E equals what? MC squared. You know that. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you can come up here and explain that to us? Yeah, me either. So we learn something, we hear it, but when it comes to seeing how does E equals MC squared, how does that play out in life? I have no clue. Or explain that, to, explain that to someone else. I don't know where to start. So we want to make sure that we're not taking some of the most popular passages of Scripture and using them in isolation as mere cliches. So I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What does that mean? To learn something not as a cliche means it becomes a part of you. There's more than memorization. There's realization. There's understanding. You place ownership of that text. So to unpack that and really get to the root of what Paul's talking about, we need to put it in its context. So we're going to read verse 12 and verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I've learned, and I've learned the secret, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, whether living in plenty or hungry or want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, sometimes we take the Bible and we open it, and for us, it's Scripture. It's God's Word. But for a guy like Paul a character in the story, this was life. So Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not this spiritual tagline that we can just stamp onto our lives and say, you know what? Nothing's out of reach for me because I'm in Christ. It's not a spiritual tagline that says, just work hard enough and you can achieve your goals. As if nothing's beyond my grasp, my capabilities, this inner strength that circulates through me. And that was the philosophy of the first century. And it kind of parallels the 21st century as well. That if you work hard enough, you set those high goals, you can do anything. Paul qualifies this. He says, hey, I've been hungry. No food. It was hard. And I've been well-fed. I've been in need. I've been in want. In other words, he's saying, you can do this the easy way or you can do this the hard way. Not an ultimatum, but a moment of reality. And some of you here this morning, I would assume life's good. It's summer. You're able to build into your family. Things are going well financially with your faith. Life's just moving forward. 
good speed, good rhythm to it. It's the easy way. And Paul says, hey, when things were going my way, I learned how to do that the right way. And I would assume that some of you, life's challenging, maybe complicated, confusing this morning. There's some obstacles. And for you, it's hard. Paul comes in and he says, hey, you can do this the hard way too. You can still live out your faith the easy way or the hard way. I heard one guy say one time, I don't need a God. I don't need a God who can motivate me. I can motivate myself. And I have a circle of peers who can motivate me. What I need is a God who is with me, who is with me in the good times and the not so good times, who can help me do life the easy way or to do life the hard way regardless. And I relate to that. You think about Paul, he's in prison when he writes Philippians. He's in jail, prison. And that's when he pins the words, I can do life. I can do it the easy way. I can do it the hard way. I can do it because Jesus Christ gives me strength. In other words, what I'm telling you is that we're talking less about serving a God who's gonna always get you out of it, whatever it may be for you. Instead, we're connecting with a God, whether it's easy or hard, will get us through it either way. There's a right way to live through this strength that Christ provides, whether the easy way or the hard way. And when you think about easy, maybe you can relate to this. I was at a bookstore over a decade ago and I'm at the register and it's a time where they're really pushing the sale of DVDs. So I got my pile of books on the calendar, I'm checking out and this lady offers me this deal of a lifetime where I can sign up and I can get like 10 DVDs for free right there. They'll mail them to me about a week, just have to sign my name. And then it's not until like six or eight weeks later that the bill comes. You ever been in a situation like that? And I'm thinking, not bad. We don't buy a lot of movies, but there's some DVDs that we want. So I'm starting to sign and I'm like, maybe. And then I'm having this conversation in my mind, David, don't do it. Don't do it. Because the catch is, if you cancel, like in the first three weeks, you don't have to pay anything. And you get to keep the DVDs you've already received. And I'm thinking, David, don't do this. You know you. You're not going to cancel. You're going to forget about this. It's not going to become a priority. But then I'm signing thinking, man, this is too easy. Get these DVDs. Then can't just call and cancel. Everything's fine. So I sign the name, go on the way. <sighs> a few weeks later, we get a bill in the mail for about 80 bucks. And I'm thinking, oh, man. When life is easy, it's so easy to forget about how a decision or a choice is going to play out in the future. And it's not until later on that you get the bill in the mail and you're like, I could have avoided this. Why did I do this? So I don't know, for the temptation for you guys who've got it easy right now, don't lose sight of the moment. Don't lose sight of the future. You can do life correctly 
even though it's going great, there's a way to do life through Christ who gives you strength the easy way. Or what about the hard way? Uh, Also at Bible college several years ago, I was commuting and I had this one class, 7.30 a.m. class. I lived two and a half hours away, had to commute. So I was up around four o'clock, hitting the road really soon. It was a spring class. So inclement weather was always a challenge. And if I had a spring course, I'd go to the professors and say, hey, look, I'm coming from nearly three hours away. There may be an occasion or, time or two when I'm late. Here's why. Maybe through snow, something like that. I may even miss a couple of classes. Can we work something out where I can do the work at another time or whatever? All the professors were cool with that. Very laid back, very helpful. Except this one semester, this one professor, I gave him the spiel and he was like, I'm sorry, the college allows X number of absences. Once you exceed that limit, I've got to fail you. So I get up to that limit and we still have about three weeks left in the course and I'm up to that limit and it's snowing everywhere like crazy. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I've got to get to these classes. I've got to get to these classes. I can't fill this course. So I get up one morning and if I miss another one, it's over. I filled the course. I get up, I get up extra early because snow's coming. I'm making good time, good progress. I'm thinking, yes, just got to get in the seat. Let them see me. Everything's great. And in the distance, I see flashing lights. I get a little closer, there's blue lights. Get a little closer, there's red lights. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me on all mornings, right? And there's been an accident and traffic's backed up for about an hour. So I get out my phone, I start videoing this as evidence, proof that, hey, this wasn't my fault, I'm sorry about it. I get to class or I get to the college and I go to his office. He opens the door and he gives me one of these frowns like, I knew you wouldn't make much of yourself in this class. And I'm thinking, oh man. But I get my phone out and say, look, I got video. It wasn't my fault. It was out of my control. Can we do something? He said, the only thing I can do is fail you. That's the only option that I have. The hard way. I bet some of you have some, some stuff going on and it's not your fault. And you didn't cause it, but you feel the pressure of it. And maybe you feel like you failed in this certain area. And you know what? That following semester resulted in me having to commute four days every week so that I could make up that course. And some of the hard stuff you're dealing with, you may get some information tomorrow or an event may happen tomorrow and it's not going to be positive. It's just gonna pile on the difficulty in your life. Paul's not saying, hey, it's okay, work harder. God will get you out of it. He's saying, no, the hard may hang around for a while. But through the strength that Christ provides, he'll get you through, through it. When you look at that text, verses 11, 12, Paul says, hey, I've learned this secret. And the word learn means to have an experience. And then once time passes, you reflect upon it. And you see clearly who you are. That's a beautiful word. So you can see Paul saying, hey, there were times when I was hungry, times when I was well-fed, times when I had plenty, times when I was in need. And when I look back over my life, I've realized something. 
that I can do this the easy way or the hard way because Christ gives me strength. He's there for me. So if life's hard or life is easy, they're both irrelevant because I'm in Christ and he provides strength to sustain me and get me through. That's the context. That's not the cliche version. That's the biblical version. That's the thrust of it. That's the idea. So what about you? Are you doing this the easy way or the hard way? There's strength for you for either. You know, we talk a lot about Greek words, Greek texts. That's simply because we use English translations, but Paul would have written in Greek. And if you put the two side by side, the way the Greek's laid out, it actually necessitates an English transition, translation, us kind of putting the word how into his language. So Paul's saying, hey, I've learned how to do life when things are good so that I don't make any unnecessary mistakes that I'm going to later regret that could have been avoided. I've learned how to do life when it's hard. And this is off script, just throwing it out there for anybody that it may really, really speak to. If you'll remember in John chapter 6, there was some hard teaching going on from Jesus. He was really talking about how he wanted to connect with his people. And it was difficult. The disciples were saying, this is a hard teaching. How are we supposed to understand it? And the text goes on to tell us that that's when the disciples walked away from Jesus. In that moment of thinking, how do we do this when it's hard? And I want to remind you that Paul is not saying when it's hard, God will get you out of it. Just that he will get you through it. Now, if you take a broader context of this chapter four, you see that the Philippians, one of the, reason, one of the reasons Paul is writing is that the Philippians had sent a monetary gift to Paul. Paul was in prison when he penned this and they send him some cash. And Paul writes to them saying, hey, thanks so much for that gift. I really appreciate it. But what's even more profound is that he doesn't focus on the gift. He focused on what the gift represents. There's a deeper drive in him. He says to the Philippians, the only reason you gave was because we're partners in the gospel. We're connected. We're on the same team, same page. We're doing this together. So he doesn't even praise the gift. He praises what the gift represents. And this is throughout scripture. And it's something that you should be very proud of that's occurring here at Northeast Christian Church. Do you know that every month of this year, every single month of this year, we have had multiple people signing up to become owners. Every month. I figured you would clap at that. I figured you would clap after I said that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I applaud you who are becoming owners because I, my guess would be that some of you are doing this the easy way. Life is good. And you're thinking, what's the next way we can plug in, take our faith to the next level here at this church? And then I would assume that some of you are doing this the hard way too. You know that regardless of what's happening out here and the pressure, you're still going to move forward in your faith. You are doing this the easy way or the hard way. And you're stepping up and becoming owners, partners in what's going on here. And when you look at our website, and you scroll down to get a vision for what ownership means, we use language like owners, they don't have rights, they have responsibilities. That's what our website says. 
It says owners, they don't sit on the sidelines and just watch. They get in the game. And that's what you're doing. You're becoming a partner of what God is doing in this church and in this community. And I thank you for that. So the New Testament picks up on this. One of the big things that, themes that we see throughout the New Testament is the idea of spiritual gifts. And I don't want to get all hokey with it or things like that. But this idea of spiritual gifts is so important. It's important for every single one of us here this morning. Notice this reference, 1 Peter chapter 4. Each of you, that's all of us, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, comma, and notice this last sentence, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, God's grace expressed in the world, God's grace spreading out in its various forms is when you and I use our gifts. When one of the most important things you can do for the kingdom of God is to discover and then develop your spiritual gift. God will tap into that And he will use it to spread his grace throughout this church and this community. We take the Bible a lot of times, true for me. And we take it and we put it over here as if it's just a book that we somehow have control over. And I can put the necessary distance between me and this book that I need to based on whether I'm doing life the easy way or the hard way, it'll represent something different. And this Bible's over here, and I'm over here, as if I control it, as if I interpret what it means for my life. In the fourth century, St. Augustine said, Scripture, though, is not something over there. Scripture is something that interprets us. So when you read a verse that says God uses your gift to spread out his grace, that doesn't mean, oh, that's good. It's another cliche. It's another verse that I can put over here, another verse that I've memorized. No, it means God is tapping you on the shoulder saying, I want to use you to spread out my grace the easy way or the hard way. Paul comes back to this idea. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 12. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. And I love this language. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We're participating in this together. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So can I check in with you as one of your pastors? What's something that you do really, really well? What's something that you do really, really well? Don't overlook that. That may be the gift that God has planted in you to discover 
and develop to spread his grace in its various forms. We need you. We need the owners. We need you stepping up and saying, I will be intentional about discovering how God has gifted and equipped me, equipped me so that I can use that for partnership and what God's doing here and in other places. We're going to be talking more about spiritual gifts in the coming months, but will you do me a favor? Don't let, don't let teaching like this become cliche. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, everybody's got a spiritual gift. Yeah, I can do something well. Don't use this as putting the Bible over there and you'll interpret it or check in with it when you need to. Allow this to be the living word of God that's interpreting your life right now saying, yeah, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. It's time for you to discover and develop your gift. Put it into practice. And you can do this the easy way and you can do this the hard way. When I think about our family, we've got this little set of values that we live by. We're really big on timing and individuality and stuff like that. But I think about the way that my family is gifted and wired. And one thing Michelle, my wife and I do is we really try to be intentional about helping our kids discover their giftedness. And I think about Sophia and her giftedness, Christian, little Isabella up and coming where where God's going to use her in life. You can't start too early thinking about this stuff. You can start as early as now. Some of the gifts that God gives us is serving. That list in Romans 12, he identifies serving. Some of you know how to roll your sleeves up and get dirty or not. You just know how to get busy and you know how to serve people. There's no pride, there's no ego. You're all about the best interest of someone else. We need you. There's the idea of leadership. Some of you have an eye for the future. You can see into the future, not in a crazy way, but you got an eye for a vision and you know how to lead people. We need you. Then there's encouraging. Encouraging when it's a spiritual gift as in the New Testament, it's not this idea of just putting a smile on someone's face, patting them on the back. Encouraging is able to come alongside someone and help them live out their faith. And some of you can do that. Some of you can get through to others that nobody else can. And you can show them how faith can be a practice in their life. And then there's the idea of mercy. Mercy, one of the best definitions I've ever heard of mercy. You know, we talk a lot about grace. Grace is where God gives you something you don't deserve. Well, mercy is the exact opposite. It's where God doesn't give you something you do deserve in terms of judgment or penalty. But one of the best definitions I've ever heard of mercy is you're letting other people be human. Some of you have that gift. You can let other people mess up, make mistakes, and it really doesn't phase you. You know how to take that in stride, let it roll off the shoulder and converse and operate with them. You see them for who they are, a flawed human being. I think my daughter Sophie has this gift. I pegged her at this about four or five years old and over the past four or five years, it's proven to be true. She can make a friend almost instantaneously. Uh, We actually, this is confession, don't judge me on this, but she is so social 
playground, anywhere, makes friends so easily, that we actually let her go to a Bible school last week at a church that's not ours. Is that okay? Is that okay if she went to another Bible school? Okay, all right, good. Glad you feel that way. So day one, she knew no one. We didn't know anybody at this church. We go to pick her up at 8.30. She's got four, four little girls hanging around her. She has this ability to see others as humans and then involve herself in their life in the necessary way. We need you. Then he lists uh, generosity. And I know for a fact some of you have this gift. I know some of you have it. I've seen it play out. I've seen it in my life and the lives of others. You give. You've got the resources to give. And man, you give. You give above and beyond because you know that's what God is calling you to do. We need you. Over time, one thing I know about spiritual gifts is that when you do something really, really well, when you do something really well, you've got an eye for it. You know how to give when other people wouldn't even think. Should I give? You never question, you give. When you've got an eye for leadership, you lead. You don't wait and ask someone, hey, can I lead now? You just lead, it's who you are. You have an idea of how this should play out in your life. So will you allow this to interpret you? Don't interpret this with the cliche statements. Well, I don't have a gift. I know everybody else does, but I don't. No, allow this to interpret you. Discover and develop your gift. Enter into partnership, just like the Philippians and Paul entered into partnership with one another. So back to this idea of family values that my family and I have. There's just four and one of them is I. If I say the letter I, the kiddos, my wife, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the value of individuality. And not individuality and like, hey, you're a person, so be who you are, whatever that looks like, just do whatever you wanna do. Not like that. But it's the individual within the team, within the family. So take Sophia for, for instance. She's Sophia, she's a person, she's a human created in God's image, but she's not just Sophie. She's also a daughter, she's also a sister. And we remind her of that, we remind Christian that he's also a son, he's also a brother. In other words, when you partner up with people, when you're part of the same family, part of the same team, You've gotta consider the choices that you're making. You've gotta consider where you're headed, how that impacts the people around you. So every time one of the kids are gonna leave the house, they're gonna go out in the cul-de-sac, play with a friend, go to a neighbor's house. Or if we're gonna drop them off somewhere, you know, as they're running out the door, we say, hey, Sophie, know yourself. Know who you are. We'll drop Christian off, roll down the window. Christian, don't forget who you are. Know who you are. And they always nod, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Paul strikes me as a guy who knows who he is. Well-fed, hungry, in want with plenty. This is a guy who knows how to do life the easy way or the hard way because he draws strength from Jesus Christ. And easy or hard, 
That's irrelevant. He's in Christ. It's rendered easy, hard, useless, or foolish, not applicable. He knows how to do life. So what about you? You're going to be leaving in just a few minutes. And I'm concerned that some of you may be leaving and you don't know who you are. Because some of the implications of an easy life, uh, they're toying with you. Some of the pressures of a hard life, they're toying with you. And you don't know who you are. And I want you to know that as you leave, the easy way, the hard way, you can do it through Jesus who gives you strength. And if you have a need you want to talk about, you know, it's too easy and you want to know what's next, let's talk. Or if it's too hard and you're about to crash, let's talk. I don't want you to be like what Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3 as people who, you know, they're always learning but just never able to acknowledge the truth. I don't want you to have a Christianity that's all about cliches. I want you to learn this stuff and then acknowledge the truth of how that plays out because it can through Jesus Christ, the easy way or the hard way. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for gifting us. Thank you for exposing us to your grace. Thank you for not making a relationship with you dependent upon whether things are going well or not so well. Thank you for the reminder that through Christ, we can leave this building the easy way, the hard way, and be okay with that because you provide strength not necessarily to get us out of it but to get us through it and for that we praise you because you are worthy of all praise and a special prayer Father for those who will be leaving and life is hard I pray that they can over time reflect upon their experiences and reach a point where they can say it is well It's well with my soul because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's our prayer in the name of your Son. Amen.